You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning. Hey, how many of you are, are a little bit uncomfortable during greeting time? Just raise your hand. Probably won't raise your hand because you don't want to be uncomfortable. I get that. I understand that. I understand that. I just want to say this to you today. I identify with you. Most of you don't know this. I am a bona fide introvert. I don't, I don't know if many of you know. Only because of the job I have, people think, well, he's really an extrovert. Listen, I would probably sit in the, in the back row every church service that I came to. And so I love back row seaters. I really do. You know what? And it's, this is the humor of God. This is the incredible humor of God. What does he do to me, an introvert who would sit in the back row? Uh, for a lot of reasons, I would sit in the back row. He has me at church almost every weekend sitting in the front row. Isn't that incredible? And, and, then, I, and then, I, then I come and talk to you. This is wild stuff. I mean, this is like when I, when, I, when I think about this and I look up in God's face and just imagine his face, you know what I see him doing? <laughs> and what I know about being an introvert is, is I really, I have to work at really staying engaged. And so I want to identify with all you introverts in here. Work at staying engaged. I can say this, and I can say this with all confidence. If I can do it, you can do it. You know, I really can. And we really can do it together. So let's get a shout-out for the introverts. Yes. That's about, about, that's about as big a shout-out as you get from introverts. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I'm with you. Wow, it's good to see you. Listen, we're in a series uh, titled Family Life. It's great. When I say family life, I realize that can mean a, different, a lot of different things to different people. And so for the sake of clarity, let, let me tell you what we're talking about. In our study, some of the subjects that we have talked about, we're going to continue to talk about our parenting. That's next week. I'm excited about this because we're going to talk about how to build values in today's kids. I think this is, this is incredibly important. What about living in a single, uh, living in the single life in, a, in the kind of culture, postmodern culture that we're part of. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what does the Bible say about sexuality and our own sexuality. What does the Bible say? Now, last week and, and this week, we've dedicated these two weekends to really discussing and talking about our, our marriages. Now, for those that aren't married, I want you to hang in with us. Uh, because I know this. I know whenever we open, crack open God's Word, there's some incredible things that happen to our lives. I mean, the Word of God is alive, and it transforms our heart. It transforms our lives. And so when we open the Word of God, there is change that takes place. And I wish this. I wish that when, uh, when I was single, I would have heard some messages like we're teaching these last few weekends because it would have made a difference in my perspective, really, and my attitude uh, toward marriage, toward God, and what, what it really looks like. And so we know this. This is what we understand and we believe in. We believe that our marriages in a biblical framework um, are, are what brings health to our families. It brings health to community. It brings health to our culture, the culture that we're part of. It is the bedrock of healthy relationships. Now, if you've gone through a difficult marriage where there has been divorce, there has been this hurt and tearing apart. I know this, I know this, God's grace is sufficient and God's grace is with you and God's grace touches our lives. And I know that because he's touched my life and I've seen him change so many of us, including myself. I'm probably the biggest uh, testimony, you know, that God can change someone like me. 
And, and I know that's so true. And God has a way for us, and he gives us that way. So here's something to know about marriages. If you didn't already know this, let, let me give you a little news flash. Marriages are messy. And everyone in marriage says, amen, amen. And can I tell you why I know marriages are messy? Because you're in it. Yeah, yeah. You are in it. That is why a marriage is messy. Now, I'm going to get real here. I'm going to get personal here, and i got to say it like this. And I'm going to encourage you to say the same thing. You cannot get away with saying, yeah, my marriage is messy because of my spouse. See, you have to get into this habit of where you're saying, my marriage is messy because I'm in it. And that's so true. My, my marriage is messy because, because, because I'm in it. Now, it might do you well just to repeat that. Go ahead quietly to yourself. My marriage is messy because I'm in it. Wow. Isn't that kind of freeing, isn't it? It's kind of humbling when you, when you look at it that way. And here's what I know. Here, here's what I really love. I love the Bible when it talks about relationships. The Bible is packed full of examples of relationship. And when we go to the Old Testament and look at marriage, most of those examples are not that good. They're not that healthy. Because when you look at the Old Testament, you see these these broken people trying to get along, trying to love God the best they can. But they are broken. They are weak. They fall. They sin. And sometimes when I'm reading this, this mess that goes on in marriage and family in the Old Testament, I, I, I read it and I say, why is this in here? I mean, I mean couldn't, couldn't God just edit that out? You know, it'd serve us all well if it was just, can we talk about good stuff? Can we just talk about the rosy stuff? But, but God has this way of putting a ton of messy stuff about marriage and relationship in the Bible and especially in the Old Testament. I look at it and say, why is this included? Why not tell us the good stuff? That even the heroes of our faith have fallen and the heroes of our faith are, are messy people. I mean, you look at David, messy guy. I mean, he, he messed up some serious, some, I mean, he did some bad stuff. And then you look at the guy that we talked about last week. You remember Abraham and Sarah? <laughs> I mean, Abraham, you want to talk about a hero of the faith? He's labeled as a friend of God. The father of our faith. That's where it all starts. And, and he was a mess. I mean, he lied a few times. I mean, he, he took up with a maidservant of, of Sarah's. I mean, and he, didn't, he was putting on his cologne when he went into that room. I mean, he didn't even say, no, I, you know, I stop and think about it. He says, okay, if you told me to do that, I'll go do it. I mean, he's not helping our cause. But God has this in his word. He's telling us these things. And so why does the Old Testament put so much of this messy stuff in there? Well, here's why. It's all pointing to Jesus. I mean, when you read the Old Testament, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to our need for a Savior. So that in the middle of your messiness, in the middle of my messiness and brokenness and sin, you know what it says to me? There's hope. There's hope. I mean, God took these people who were messy and he, and he redeemed them. And he loved them. And now they're called heroes of our faith. And so when I read these people and I read their stories, I'm going, wow, wow, I'm about the messiest person on the planet. And what this tells me is this, that there's hope for me, and there's hope for Annette, and there's hope for our marriages, there's hope for our families, 
There's hope for our single life. There's hope for our children. There is hope because God is saying to this, this to us. He's saying, I want to point you to your need for Jesus Christ. You need to always be reminded that we have a deep need for Jesus Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. And all of our junk shows us how much we need a Redeemer. So if you are and you're brave enough to look in the mirror and take some inventory and self-evaluation and you see all that, that junk, that messiness, just remember this. Say, wow, I'm looking at this and, and realizing when I do, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. We've said this often and I say it and I did it again this morning. Ring the bell because you need help. I, I rung my bell. I literally, folks, I ring a bell every morning. Every morning. I rung the bell this morning. Why? Because I need a Redeemer. Because I am messed up. Because I need help. Because I'm broken. I want his help. I, I need his help. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first, it's, it, actually it's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. That's Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. There's some Bibles around the building under the seats in front of you. Uh, they're, they're blue Bibles. And I want to tell you this. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those blue Bibles and the moment you touch it, it's yours. So we want you to have a Bible. We want you to open that up. We want you to be part of what God's doing in our life. So this is a story. When we look at Matthew chapter 7, this is a story that many, are you, many of you are familiar with. It's the story that Jesus tells about the wise and foolish builders. And I want to read that to you beginning at verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. So, Here's the bottom line. And you've got to ask yourself this question, and I hope you do today. The question you have to ask yourself is, which house would you rather live in? Which house do you want to live in? Which house do you want to make home in? <laughs> is it the one on the rock or the one on the sand? Because Jesus tells us two short stories. That's really what's happening here. If you didn't catch it, they're really short stories. He tells us two short stories. He puts alongside each other. He he raises them up to each other. And he says, now, here are some things that are similar in the story. And here are some things that are different in the story. So the first question that I want to ask is, what is similar in the story? So when Jesus is teaching like this, what are the similarities here? I mean, when I'm looking at this story, these two short stories, I look at both of them and I ask myself, okay, what is similar here? What's going on here? And I want you to remember this. The builders build a house. The house is a metaphor for life. And I even want you to use the term house today for a metaphor for marriage because that's what you're doing. Your house means your life together. So you're building a house together. So here's how we can say it. Number one, every couple builds a house. Every couple in marriage builds a house. From the moment that you meet your future spouse, whether you know it or not, whether you're intentional or not, you are building a house. 
The moment Annette and I met, the moment we decided that God wanted us together, that we were uh, that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, that's the moment we start building a house together. And so we do. We build a house together. Whether you know it or not, whether you're intentional, you're building a house. You're building a life together. And here's what the houses we built are made of. Can I tell you what they are? You've got to get this. This is so important. The houses that you and I built, the marriages that we build, they're made of the cumulative effect of all of our small decisions. See, some of us say, whoa, how did I get here? I mean, how, how did this happen? You know, you think you're surprised? You feel surprised by life? Can I tell you this? There, there are a few surprises, but not that many. Not that many. Because most of the time, we get to where we are uh, through what we see as these obscure little tiny decisions that we make. That, that's... That's really what builds a house. The words that we speak, the habits that we form, the the perspective we have, the respect that we give. These daily decisions have a way of building our homes and our marriages that we are constructing as husband and wife. So here's what we understand. A wise builder knows the long-term effects of his or her small decisions. A wise builder begins by understanding, hey, I'm making some decisions every day, and the decisions I make every day, they seem small, but I know that they have a long-term effect. That's a wise builder. That's someone who's smart. A wise builder understands the benefits of doing things the right way the first time. Now, um, I, I have a lot of friends who are in the construction business. Both my brothers are in the construction business. I just got a lot of f- folks around me. You know what I, what I would always hear? And I'm not. I, I, have nothing, I, 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 I can barely take a hammer and, and hit a nail with. But here's what I hear all the time. Measure twice. Cut once. Measure twice. Cut once. What is that saying to us? It's saying here, this decision that you're about to make, this measurement, th- this guesstimate, this choice... You better measure it twice. You only want to cut it once. Because if you don't do it right, there are going to be some problems down the road. You might not see them right away. You might not feel the impact right away, but it will, it will catch up with us somewhere along the line. A foolish builder will think to himself this. A foolish builder thinks this way. Um, I can neglect this area of my life right now. It's okay. I can neglect this part of my marriage right now. It's okay. I'll get back on track. I'll get a redo. Um, that, that's what a foolish builder will think. Well, I can just come back and do it over again. So we have a wise builder and we have a foolish builder. And there is a cumulative effect of our daily decisions. So you know there are two ways to destroy a house. Did You, you, you know that, don't you? Two ways. One way is you just call them a demolition team. I mean, have you ever seen it? I'm sorry, but every now and again, I just got to watch YouTube and see people blow up houses. You know, I mean, big old wrecking balls, boom. It's usually a Sunday afternoon, you know, after church. I'm going, I want to see just something get blown up, you know. I just want to. So, boom, bang, bang, and it's gone. I mean, it's gone. But it takes a few hours. You got the big old heavy equipment in there moving it out, and it looks like it had never been there before, ever. That's, that's one way of destroying a house. Did you know there's a, a second way of totally destroying a house? It's called neglect, disrepair. Just, just take your hands off and 
And in time, you might not see it right away. You might, it might take years. But in time, what you're going to see is a house destroyed because of neglect and disrepair and no attention given to the details and the important things of that home. Those are the two ways that, that, that homes can be destroyed. Now, the one that I see happen most often as we relate it to relationship is the second. It's usually not the first. Every now and again you see blow-ups. But more than that, you see homes, houses going into neglect and disrepair. And people thinking, wow, I can just let this go. Here's, here's where we get into trouble with our marriages. We start off building a house, but at some point we realize the project needs an inspector. Following me? So you're building a house and you need an inspector. And what will happen oftentimes is the two builders will decide, one will decide that they're the inspector. Yeah, yeah. And don't be doing that to anybody right now, okay? <laughs> but, but one usually decides, you know, I think I need to be the inspector here. So you have one spouse building and the other spouse inspecting. And you, you have to ask yourself the question, are you the builder or are you the inspector? Can I tell you this? Just by experience of what I know, inspectors and builders just water and oil. You know, they don't always just, they don't get along. They don't. Can I tell you this? It even, it, it's even worse if you've got to live with the inspector. No one wants to live with the inspector. Nobody. Nobody's saying to the inspector, hey, I really like, no builder, hey, I really like, why don't you come over? We'll have some donuts together. We'll hang out. You're going to be my best friend. In fact, I want you to be my roommate. Doesn't happen. Now, we get into a deeper trouble uh, when this happens. It's when both decide to be the inspector. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, fingers going back and forth. You know, when you have two inspectors in a relationship, there isn't a lot of building that gets done. There is a lot of inspecting that gets done, but not a lot of building. So what are you inspecting? You're inspecting things that are half built, not even there. That's what you end up doing. You just end up pointing the finger. Everyone builds a house. It's true of all of us. You're building a house. I'm building a house. Whether wise or foolish, a house is being built. So here it is. Number two, something else that's similar in both houses with both builders. They both experience storms. Every house will face a storm. Now look at verses 25 and 27. I like this. It says, The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against the house. Verse 27, And the rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house. The two verses at the first part are identical. The storm hits both houses the same way. Much of the trouble in our marriages comes from thinking this. Listen. Comes from thinking this. That will never happen to me. And somehow, I, I, I think I don't know why, but especially in Christian circles, we get lulled into this sense of false security that says, well, just because, you know, I've got fire insurance, I know whose side I'm on. I'm on God's side. And then bad things happen, and all of a sudden, your house is starting to crumble. You know why? Because what you're thinking is these things will never happen to me. That's a false assumption. That's a false assumption. Jesus is saying in this story, both the wicked and the wise, both the foolish and the wise, the rain is going to come, the streams and waters are going to rise up, and it's going to beat on your house. That's what he's saying. 
everyone will experience a storm. Anyone who's building a house will experience a storm. Listen, this is probably, again, more true about Christian marriages. You will face storms. Why will you face storms? Well, one is because you're just in life and you're doing life together. Remember what I said? You're in the marriage, so it's messy. You're going to face a storm. I can just tell you right now. But here's another reason. One I want you to be aware of, and it really has to do with the spiritual realm of how we live. You are going to face a storm because you are more targeted by the enemy because your marriage is ordained by God and Satan wants to attack whatever is ordained by God. That's, what, that, that's a reality. That is a reality. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you some of the things that, that, that they're just getting ready to talk to you about marriage. In the last three months, the fight in my own head, the struggle in my own heart. You know what? And all of a sudden you wake up and you go, oh, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm probing in an area of the enemy. If he knows it works well, there's nothing that can stand against him. One shall send a thousand to flight. Two will send how many? Ten thousand. The math's pretty good on that. The return's Really good on that. This is what I love about Jesus. He's always into multiplication. Rarely into addition. Always into multiplication. So what's happening? Your marriage is attacked because Satan knows it's ordained by God and two can put 10,000 to flight, whatever you put your mind to. Wow. A three-chord strand is not easily what? Why? Husband, wife, and the Holy Spirit. It's tough to break it. Tough, tough to break it. So you need to be aware You have to be aware. Some of you might be in your storm right now. Some of you are maybe in a category three. You know, and I mean, and and it's hitting. And and for all kinds of different reasons, this storm comes. And what we're saying right now, what I'm saying to you right now is um, God is with you. And I don't say that lightly. Um, He is there. And here's what I would say. If you're going through a storm right now, um, and the rains are coming down, and the streams are rising, and, the, and it's beating up against your house, would you do this next thing? Uh, and here's this next thing. A storm reveals what the house is made of. Pay attention. Don't go run and hide. Don't cover up. Don't self-protect. Pay attention. Because that the, the typical response is the storm comes, and you're going after each other, husband and wife, and you both go off into your separate corners, you never see each other again. I mean, really, emotionally. You go hide out. And that's not what, that's not what we're designed to do. God has designed us to face the things that we have in life and to look at those and say, okay, there are things being revealed in my life, in my, my character defects, my brokenness during the storm that, that he wants me to pay attention to, and that's never, ever easy especially in a narcissistic society you don't want to look at that another metaphor is like putting lipstick on a pig it's ugly lipstick isn't going to fix it lipstick is not going to fix your 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 brokenness your your ugliness no offense but you know what i mean So what does it do? This storm is there to reveal what's going on. It's true in life and it's true in marriage. Everyone builds a house. Every house faces a storm and every storm reveals what the house is made of. So when the storm comes is when you find out what your foundation really is, what it's all about. You really don't know. 
it's really hard to tell uh, what's going on until that storm hits and you look at the foundation. You really don't know about your love. You really don't know about your commitment. You really don't know about your faith until the hurricane hits. Then you know what's holding things up. You know, one of the things that I ask um, those that have lost a spouse after they've been married 50 or 60 or 70 years, and I've had, can I, I've had several of those conversations where I'll pull aside the widower, widower and I'll ask just this one question. Was, was 60 years long enough? Every one of them that have survived storms and have dealt with their foundation have said, no, I haven't had enough time with them. That's love. It goes, not, not the love we define, how we define love. This is God love. They say, no, I have never had one that has gone that far into a relationship and lost a loved one and said, yep, I'm done. I've had enough time with that guy. Woo! I'm glad he's checked out. You know what I, I hear every time? No. 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 I, 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 just, I, I just haven't had enough time. So this story has its similarities. Both builders build a house. Both houses experienced a storm. But then they go in different directions. And that's what you need to look at right now. They go into different directions. The wise builder builds his house on a foundation that's rock. The foolish builder builds his house on a foundation that's sand. And here's the thing about foundations. They tend to get overlooked in the building progress process. Did you know that? Uh, we were invited to someone's house in this beautiful home. They just built it. You know, when I walked into that home and looked at the beauty of the home, I saw, I saw a lot of things, and it was beautiful. And those are the things I commented on. I commented on the stairwell. I commented on the, the, the color coordinating. I commented on the dec, uh, decorations. Not once did I comment on their foundation. Wow, you really got a nice foundation here. Never, never even said that. Never even crossed my mind. When I walked into that house, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the foundation. I, that, didn't, that didn't occur to me to comment on the beautiful foundation because it's covered up. It's something that goes deep. It doesn't stand out. It's foolish to build a beautiful home on a poor foundation. And what Jesus says here is someone who lives like that is a fool. Someone who lives that way is like a fool. There can be a beautiful house if it's on a poor foundation. That's foolish. Now, here's the interesting. When I read this, you know, when I was paying attention to this passage, he doesn't say the person is evil. He doesn't say this person's wicked. He doesn't say this person's malicious. He just says this person is a fool. And if you asked a fool, why did you do that? A fool would typically say, I didn't mean to. It's like talking to your junior high student, by the way. Okay, because that's what I think of. I don't know. Why did you do that? I don't know. And that's the only group on the planet that I give some grace to because they really don't know. There's some <laughs> things going on all over that they just don't have a clue. Mom, Dad, I hope that happens. It's a prelude to next week, okay? You know, when they say that, I don't know, then just say, give them a little grace. Get a little older, the younger ones, no, don't give them any grace. Oh. Junior high, give them grace, man. Give them some room. But he says, you're a fool. And a fool will say, I, I don't know what, what I was thinking. I 
I, I, I don't know how this happened. It just, it just happened. And so the question for us to think through is this. What foundation are you building your house on? Yeah, that's where Jesus is leading us, isn't he? He's leading us this way. I'm the messenger. He's leading us this way. So don't shoot the messenger. He's leading you to ask the question, what is the foundation you're building your life on? What is the foundation you're building your marriage on? And I think many would say this, especially today. And again, I, and I, and I, and I, love, I, I love my culture. I love the people in my life. I love the community I'm part of. I want to love people. What I look at, and I want to be honest with that, I'm saying, man, we are so self-centered and we are so narcissistic. And I'm, I get caught up into that. I, I get tarnished by that. I do. And I have to go to Jesus and say, man, I can't, I, I can't live this way. Lord, help me. Cleanse me. And he's so faithful to do that. But here's what you have to know. I, I think many build their foundation in relationship and marriage. Uh, first and foremost, the thing you see is feelings. But, that you have these these feelings, we, we, we like how the other person makes us feel. And listen, I'm not saying there's totally, there, that's totally wrong. What I'm saying is, if you're talking about building a foundation, that cannot be the main thing you build a foundation on. It cannot be the only thing you build a foundation on. And the reason we can say that is because those feelings change. And that's why we're in trouble today, because feelings change. And you go somewhere else where someone else or somebody else makes you feel better than the person that you were with. So this person makes me feel better. This person makes me feel good about myself. And that's what's important. It's how I feel about myself. You see where this is all going? Yeah. It's not good. It, it, it really isn't good. Uh, you know, you've heard the Leaning Tower of Pizza. You, you know, the, I, I kind of look at stuff. I read stuff. And that, <laughs> she laughs at me. She goes, man, you just want to find out just the little tiniest detail of certain history and stuff. And I said, yep, that's just me. I'm curious. How did it get there? Have you ever asked that question? How did this happen? How did the Leaning Tower of Pizza become the Leaning Tower of Pizza? Because I know when it was built, it wasn't called the Leaning it was just the Tower of Pisa. But later it was called the Nalini. It's, it's like 17 feet off plumb. And it drifts about 1 20th of an inch every year. I mean, you know, imperceptible, but it's drifting. <laughs> and then you find out, does anybody know what the word Pisa means? Anybody here, Italian, Latin base? Pisa means a marsh. So these cats build a tower on marshy ground. They know it. So what do you think is going to happen when you build a tower on marshy ground? Uh-huh. And they know someday it's going to crash. Someday it's going to fall. They know it. I mean, you can look at it. It's going to tip. It's going to fall. I don't know when, but it's going to fall. You don't, you don't build a tower or anything on Pisa. You eat it, but you don't build on it. Because why? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to fall. And this happens when we build on feelings alone. It, it's, it's fine for a while. And when feelings start to fade, I see people hit the panic button. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't feel like, I don't feel toward them like I did when I was like 22. No, you're not. It's not going to happen. And we can talk on a, 
we can do it on the side, and I'll tell you why, okay? You know, if you want to know, you can come up and talk to me after church. We can have a good little side discussion. But it doesn't. They change. They change. You know what? The Bible talks about love differently and that it's built on commitment, or the Bible uses the word covenant. That, that's what love is built on. Feelings ask the question, is this the right person? And even after people have been married, they start to ask that question, is this the right person? That's the question feelings ask. Do you know what commitment says? Commitment says this. This is the only person. The difference. These are two totally different foundations, and the Bible uses the word covenant. So if you want to look at a comparison, the difference between covenant, uh, and I will use something your comment, consumerism, because those two are pretty much opposite. You know what consumerism is? Consumerism is, I will like you, I will, I will be with you as long as you give me what I want. That's what consumerism. The moment you stop giving, you stop getting what you want, you're out, you're checking, man, you're going to another store. They're not giving me what I want, so you know what? I'm going to another place. Marriages have functioned in a similar fashion. I'm not getting what I want here, so I'm checking out. I'm going to another store. First, I'm going to do some window shopping. You know what a covenant says? covenant says this is the only person for me. I'm not going to another store. I'm looking at my own life. I've got to look at my own faults. I've got to look at my own stuff. And I've got to have God redeem me. But this covenant is about building your relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with fostering faith in relationship. It has to do with building it on Jesus Christ. You know what was written here in Psalm 127? David said this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. There is the centrality, there is the adhesion, there is the cohesiveness, there is what keeps the covenant together. It is built on Jesus Christ, the solid rock that will never be moved. That's what he says here. Unless the Lord watches over the city and guards stand watch in vain. And so part of making Jesus the foundation of your marriage is simply doing what he says. That's where we go with this story. And I'm going to wrap it up here. This is what he says. What does he say in verse 24? Everyone look at verse 24. It says, therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Once again, what are we seeing here? Once again, the difference between the wise and the foolish builder is what? A wise man hears his words, then he does what? Puts them into practice. Ha ha. There's the key right there, right there, right there, right there. Because what happens to the foolish man? What does it say about the foolish man? It says the foolish man heard his words. Same so far. Wise and foolish. But did not put his words into practice. Wow, that's where they part company. So we're all looking for these secrets. You know, what's 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 the key that unlocks the door in this relation? I can tell you what it is. Do what Jesus says. And some of you are just going, oh, I thought it was going to be bigger than that. No. It says here, do what Jesus says. It says the wise man hears his words and he does what he hears. He puts it into practice. A foolish man does what? He hears but doesn't put it into practice. They both hear the words of Jesus, but only one put it into practice. 
what, he, what they heard. So where do we start? Can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you something real quick here. All of our, our married folks here, I want to say this to you. I want to ask you to do something. I want you to agree with me up front that you'll do it. I didn't get any takers, did I? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. I want you to agree right now. Say, hey, what Ron's going to say is really wise, okay? We just, just think that. And, what, and he would never lead me astray, ever, ever. And what he's going to tell me to do is just really good. You look, don't look convinced yet. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this. This is where you can start. Where do you start? This is where you can start. I want you to do this. I want you to pray with each other every day for the next two weeks. Pray with each other every day for the next two weeks. Now listen, there is no ribbing here. There is no spouse saying, that's what I've always wanted. And you know what? I'm glad that pastor told him because I've been telling him that for a long, long time. Put it away. Put it away. Here's what I want. And I know who makes it, I know who gets more nervous here because I do. Remember? The man, the guy. <laughs> and by the way, praying for dinner doesn't count. <laughs> so I'm just telling you. I mean, I would try to look for that loophole right there, but it doesn't count. What you got to do is you got to pray together. And listen, some of you guys may say, I don't know what to say. That's okay. There's time. I don't know what to say, you know? Get together and say, God, I, we're here. I, I love you. I love her. Amen. That'll work. So you don't have to do a long, you don't have to use King James language either. So I'm getting you off the hook. It can be really short. Doesn't matter. But pray with each other every day for two weeks. I, we're still working on it. Because some days we're, we're, she's up before I am, I'm up before her. And we're, but I know in my heart, well, that's what we always want to do. We just want to touch bases, look each other in the eyes. We go, I, you know, usually I'm praying for us, our kids, and you. And listen, here's the great thing. I'm, an, I'm really economical with my prayers. And that's okay. God's fine with that. And I just go through and I say, here it is, God. Here it is. Help us. We need, we need your help. Practice this. Would you practice this? Can I tell you, they've done studies on this. Couples who do this have healthier marriages. Did you know that? They've actually studied this. Couples who do this. One out of every 10,000 divorce who do this. <laughs> Pretty good odds. Reduces divorce rate. Wow. 8%. But here's the, here's, the bad, here's the bad news. Only 8% Christian couples actually do this. 8%. I mean, we're sucking some serious air when we don't do this together. That means what? 92% of us don't do this. That's why, that's why we've got to target this right here. That's why I'm giving you some place to start right here. Here's what I tend to do. More than anything else that I'm learning as a, as a husband is not to build our marriage on the foundation of my wife's feelings for me. Tough one. We've talked about it. I tend to, tend to gauge our, our marriage on how I'm doing based on how she feels about me. So what does that do? <laughs> Puts a whole lot of pressure on her. Puts a whole lot of pressure on the marriage. It creates this unsustainable pressure because you're looking to your spouse to do something for you that only God can do for you. So essentially, you're making that person your God, small g. Wow. Here's the formula. Pressure plus time equals foundational cracks. It 
It's a universal, universal formula. Pressure plus time equals foundational cracks. Here's something else that happens. It creates unreasonable disappointment. Ultimately, any false god disappoints you. And if that's where your spouse is in your life and you depend on them to make you feel or you're trying to cater to their feelings, I'm going to say something. It's going to disappoint you sooner or later because all false gods disappoint. Money, success, pleasure, all of it. So here's the truth. Following your feelings will never satisfy and will always leave you to emptiness of soul. When you look to others to fill you, what is happening is your soul is crying out for its creator. Your soul is crying out for its creator. And there's only one hope that doesn't disappoint, and that is the name of Jesus. Only hope that does not disappoint. Would you bow your heads? Father, we want to thank you for our time together. You're a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Go ahead. Stand with me. Now, here's what I want. One last thing. Married couple, married couples, when you leave here, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Be kind. And when you pray together, the one, um, one, one of you can't pray, oh, God, Just thank you for this person and I'm so glad that the pastor talked about this. I've been thinking about this and asking for this for the last 10 years. So heap coals on this person's head. Don't do that, all right? Just come into this with some humility. Lay it down. Surrender. And see who's holding on to who. For those that need prayer today, we have some prayer teams that will be around the building. So prayer teams, you can make your way. We also have our pancake breakfast. If you're visiting with us and you don't know, we have a pancake breakfast. (laughs) You just hit the bonus, man. That's a jackpot. So they got pancakes and waffles out in the patio. You can go out there with your family, have a great time. God bless you. And listen, if you're hungry for Jesus, talk to someone around you. Talk to a prayer team. Let us pray and lead you in the way of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready, break. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.